Welcome to this episode of Catchy Knowledge, where we want more than just fishy knowledge, we want catchy knowledge. This week, you are in for a special treat. I'm excited to have you listen to this episode with Mr. John Stark. My mom knew John from college. Since then, John has lived in the Caribbean, where he got his boat captain license. Since then, he has spent time in Alaska and Hawaii. He currently lives in Juneau and works as a captain on a whale-watching boat. His job sounds really fun. Not only does John like driving boats, he likes fishing off of them too. John has had the unique experience of working as a salmon commercial fisherman. This interview is my longest one yet. Because of this, I'm going to break out this podcast into two parts. The first part will be mostly about John's experiences with commercial salmon fishing. Next week, we'll hear about John's sport fishing hobby, mostly for salmon and halibut. I think everyone's going to really enjoy listening to this episode. Here we go. Today, I'd like to welcome Mr. John Stark to Catchy Knowledge. Thanks, John, for coming on today. Let's get started. I think you've caught a few more fish than me. Can you give me and the listeners a little bit of background on your fishing history? Like you said, you got a spinner rod and just started getting curious about lakes and rivers in your area. I did a lot of that when I was a kid. The whole Alaska version of it kind of happened when I was an adult. I had a friend who was doing commercial fishing in Alaska, and they had somebody on their boat that quit. And so he gave me a phone call saying that they needed somebody, and I happened to be available. And so I was in my early 20s, and I went up to Alaska not really knowing what I was getting into, but just knowing that there was some there was a boat that needed some help. That's kind of what got me up here from the get-go, was a, a friend and a phone call. Where did you start fishing? Where did you grow up and did you start fishing there? Yeah, I grew up in California. And so whenever we went camping, we'd go sport fishing. We'd go fishing on rivers and lakes. You said you do some commercial fishing. What's that like? So commercial fishing, you're basically catching as many fish as you can. The methods we use, we use nets. And a lot of our fish that we caught with nets ended up in grocery stores. So if you ever go to Costco and you see those fillets that say wild Alaskan salmon, eventually the fish that we would catch in Alaska ended up in grocery stores. Commercial fishing is, you know, you're not catching it with a hook and lure. You're using these big giant nets. So the two types, do you want me to talk about those? Yeah. The two types that I had experience with, the first one's called gill netting. And you're on a boat in Alaska. It's a very highly regulated industry, but you're on a 32 foot vessel that's as big as the boats could be. And on the back of the boat, there's this big round drum. And then wrapped around that drum is a gill net. So when you're ready to set your net, you cast it off the back of the boat. And the gill net has the monofilament mesh. And as the salmon hit it, they get their head stuck in it. And when you pull it back on board, you just free them up. So that's kind of one method to catch salmon. Your net is, it's usually between 150 to 200 yards. So it's it's a whole lot of net. Ideally, you want to catch schools of fish, so you want to catch a lot, and then you'd go deliver them. And then they go to processors, and then they go to either get canned or filleted and end up in grocery stores. Yeah, I heard there's a ton of regulations for gill netting, and there's like fines, or you can maybe sometimes go to jail. There's very good things about the regulations. There's people up the rivers. Salmon, when they come back, they're going up rivers to spawn, to keep their life cycle going. There's people up river that count the salmon. And so you can't just wipe out the whole schools. When the people of the river have a good count for the, they call it the escapement, the salmon that get up river to spawn. Once they have enough to sustain it, then they'll let you fish the rest of the school. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. 
So it was a good regulation. So this way, no one's wiping out the entire population. You're just kind of picking away parts and parts of schools. How many would you catch at a time? When the salmon do return, it's kind of a small window. It's four to six weeks that they'll be coming back to their river systems. So during those four to six weeks, you really want to catch 100,000 pounds. Wow. That's the goal that kind of makes it worth it. In Alaska, we would fish in Bristol Bay, which is kind of the, if my thumb is the Aleutian Chains, Bristol Bay is that little cove on Alaska. There's five major river systems. Are you ready for some funny words? Mm-hmm. As a, a captain in Alaska, you get to choose where you want to fish. And so you get to choose the uh, Naknik, Quijak, Ugashik, Igigik, or Nushigak. Whoa. So those are all rivers that have huge returns of fish. Like I said, it only lasts a couple months, month and a half to, to two months. So is it when you pick one of those rivers, you have to stay there for the whole season? My last year I was up there, there's about 1,400 boats that kind of fish the whole season. And you get to pick a river, but whenever you have to transfer, if you choose that you don't like your river anymore, you want to go to a, a different river, you usually get penalized 24 hours. You can't fish for 24 hours just as a transfer penalty. Wow. You referenced over the line. If there's the mouth of the river, you can't fish too far up the river and you can't fish too far out in front of the river. So you're kind of allowed a quadrant to fish. You would know that on your GPS. And then that's where you'd actually have planes fly over the top of you. If you're fishing outside the boundaries, yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. As a commercial fisherman, do you only get one income for the entire year or do you get income multiple times? It's kind of a roll of the dice. You don't get paid a set wage. You get a percentage of the catch. So usually you get like 8 to 10% of the catch of the money and then that's your share. And then since I told you the seasons were so short, a lot of times I would just leave and go somewhere else and I'd do a different job the rest of the year. I'm assuming that one method, gill netting, is pretty expensive since I hear the nets are sometimes just one-time use. Yeah, there's a lot of damage. And if you ever snag on something, since it's like a monofilament, which is like what your, your fishing line is, it, it doesn't take much pressure to tear it. Usually the fishermen will have an assistance boat that will have a stockpile of backup nets. So if they bust a net, they could just go to this assistant boat, switch it out, and then they'll, they'll go right back into fishing. But yeah, good question. Could you tell us about the other method? So when I would do seining, um, it's also with nets, it's just a slightly different operation. Back to where my hand was Alaska. I would go to an island south of the Aleutian chains called Kodiak Island. I work for some seining boats. And seining, the boats are a little bit bigger, and the nets are a whole lot bigger. The nets are up to a quarter mile long. Whoa. So basically the track at your school, if you run a, a lap around a track, that's how long a net is. So on seining, I was the skiff guy. The main boat has the net on the back deck and I would jump in a skiff and I would drive one direction in the skiff and the main boat would go the other direction. And we would just pull the net until it's completely in the water. And then we'd do a big loop and we'd circle back around and we'd connect and then we'd start to bring the net back on board. And so whatever we circled up is what our catch was. It's also called purse seining. Once the net's in the water, you purse up the bottom of it with rings, and then you pull it back on the boat, and then that's your catch. How many people are on the cruise for each method? So with the regulations with gill netting, it's only 32-foot boats, which really isn't all that big. It's usually three to four people on board, a captain and two crew. On the seining vessel, since they're bigger boats and the net's a whole lot bigger, and then you also need a guy in the skiff, usually it's four to five people. So usually there's the skipper, and then 
two to three crew. So yeah, pretty small operations. There's just a lot of them. There's just a lot of boats in these fisheries as they go on. And with that, you're sleeping kind of military style in bunks and you're eating a lot of food out of cans, canned beans, stuff like that, canned corn, stuff that doesn't spoil because you're not, you're not going to town every day. You're kind of isolated. What would your first meal back on land be then? Mexican food, easy. <laughs> My dad would agree with that. Yeah. Um, do you get paid by the pound when people buy meat? Remember I told you it's a little bit of a roll of the dice. As we're fishing, we don't know what the price of salmon is. You don't learn that till the season's over. So that could be the frustrating part. My very first year, I think I made 67 cents a pound. When you yeah. guys go to the grocery store, that beautiful filet is $15.99 a pound. So just a small portion of it's going to the fishermen. My last year, I think we did $1.20 a pound. And of course, like the fish has to be moved and processed and get delivered, but the fishermen kind of get a kind of a small. So that's also why you want to catch 100,000 pounds. The more you catch, the more it becomes worth it. Do the prices rise or drop depending on how many are caught or if there's like maybe a lower population? In a show I watch called Wicked Tuna, where they catch bluefin tuna, if a lot are being caught, sometimes the buyers won't pay near as much as they would. Is that the same with salmon? Yeah, most definitely. There is a supply and demand. What's nice, like with the tuna and with salmon, is it's, it's enjoyed worldwide. So I know a lot of the fish that we caught did go to Europe. And then a lot of the fish gets put into cans and some even gets grinded down into dog food and cat food. So it just, it goes to a lot of places. If it's a big run and there's a lot of fish, yeah, the price will settle lower, but then hopefully you're catching more so you could kind of overcome it. If it's a bad run and you're not catching, it's, you know, it's hardly worth your time to be on a fishy boat trying to, trying to do that. There is definitely a risk factor and that's why I did it for a few years and that's why I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> That's all for today's episode of Catching Knowledge, but that is not all for my interview with John. Tune in next week as John tells us about his sport fishing hobby in Alaska, including salmon and halibut fishing. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also leave a review. One more special thanks to John for coming on today. I'm looking forward to part two of John's interview next week on Catching Knowledge. For we want more than just fishing knowledge, we want catching knowledge. <laughs>